I'm literally doing anything and everything I can to, to make ends meet for my family. I'm doing construction on the side. I'm repairing fences for my landlord to offset the cost of my rent. Mm. And, you know, I'm literally, I'm painting, you know, people's addresses in front of their houses, you know, Man, I mean, anything what, and everything. What was that like though? Like as far as it was humbling. humbling? Oh yeah. yeah. When, when you when at one, one time, at one time I was one of the most highly decorated E fives in the seal teams. Yeah, man. And then, you know, they flew my family out to the White House and Pentagon for my award ceremony after Ramadi. Wow. Mm. And then I'm delivering pizzas for Marco's Pizza, and I'm clearing out the drain at the back of the f- pizza place for my buddy um, just so I can get an extra hour or two of minimum wage mm. after I deliver pizzas until closing. So we are here with a special guest today, J.P. Donnell uh, with Echelon Front. And I'm going to talk, talk a minute about Echelon Front and what you're doing, but we also obviously, like we always do, want to go back on the journey. And we're all sitting here actually sipping on your signature drink, which I don't know, I don't know about you, Darren, but you can't say you got a signature drink. You know what? Watch your <laughs> mouth, man. I've made, Tyler, do I have Hey, he does claim that like, purple drink <laughs> is his. <laughs> he does drink. say that it's that's his. Drink. But <laughs> Sorry, drink. drink. Hey, you <laughs> might have <laughs> your name on the stadium over there in Arlington, but you don't got your name on a can yeah, that I'm sipping right. on right now. Yeah, can so. we bring the man in? Can we bring JP in? Yes, JP Danell. So glad to have you, man. Welcome to the show. I, I appreciate you guys having me here. And as you're making it super awkward and uncomfortable for me talking about my signature energy drink, I'm thinking about, how many amazing things this, this guy has accomplished, but it's also unique how life plays out. You know, um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about echelon front and the journey and everything else. You know, I grew up with a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. I had to go through, I was in speech therapy all throughout school. Um, hated talking in front of people, like in talking in front of groups. Mm-hmm. I just, I avoided it at all costs. And now that's what I get paid to do is travel the world and yeah. speak to people yeah. about leadership and, you know, just the lessons that we learned in combat and training and, you know, and how you can apply these leadership principles to every aspect of your life. And then in, because of the partnership of Jocko and Leif of what they created with Echelon Front and then Jocko joining forces with Origin and then Origin Labs and then they created Jocko Fuel and then his product line and then these healthy all natural energy drinks. And then I end up with my signature flavor, sour <laughs> apple sniper. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Man. Like, I have a high school diploma and that's yeah. it. Right. This is in real life. And that's why we want to go back. That's why we want to go back and tell this story. Yeah. Because, I mean, could you imagine at the age no. of eight? <laughs> whatever age you say, yeah, you're going to have your own. <laughs> you're going to have your own drink at some point. Yeah. If you would have told me that a couple of years ago, I would have laughed. I'm like, yeah. there's. What are you talking about? How, that's not even possible. But I mean, I'm I'm sure as as you guys all know in this room, and especially with your career, I mean, opportunity arises, and you have to tackle that. That's you have to right. get on that. You you have to take action. You know, yeah. that's one of the things I've been really adamant about making it clear when I talk to companies uh, with everything that we do with Echelon Front. Nothing matters unless you take action. Yeah. Nothing matters in life unless you take action. And, you know, uh, one of the things my parents taught me at an early age is you can make excuses or you can make things happen. You can't do both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's about taking action in life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, shoot. I mean, look what last year brought all of us. Yeah. Yeah. 2020 was a weird it year. Was. Yep. 
But you know what? There are people that thrived and there are people that just barely survived and there are people that lost everything. And I feel horrible for the people that lost everything. I truly do. But there are people in those same situations that decided that they weren't going to be a victim and that they were going to find a way to make stuff happen. And they did. Right. And I mean, it's just, it's about your, your ability to come up with a plan, decide what you're going to do and then go forward and take it. You just said it, come up with a plan and then decide what you're going to do and then take that next step. Yes. Take the next step. So we want to take the next step and go back and your childhood and, 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 and there was a point in your life, I'm sure, that you, you became that person who took those steps and started making, being aggressive and proactive. But wait, let's go back into your, into your childhood. Where were you born, and how was the family d- dynamics? So I was born in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be sp- specific, it was Fair Oaks. Uh, I went to Del Campo High School. I was born, uh, in, I was born in Vacaville. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Was there anything uh, in Vacaville? Hey, hey, was there hey, Darren, anything? They're about to lose these two. Oh, they're they're gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 it's NorCal folk. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know someone's from NorCal? Like when I was stationed down in San Diego, uh, yeah. if we'd be out at the bar or parties or hanging out or whatever, if you heard someone say, oh, hella. Hella. hella what did I say? Like, you just what did I say? Day, man. We talked to someone hella from San good. Diego, and I, and, I, and I moved to Fresno when I was 12, okay. and we were talking to somebody, and he goes, oh, yeah, from NorCal. I was like, well... Sort of, I lived it, but like I don't say hella much. Oh, but that's so, the because so hella is a NorCal thing. Is a NorCal deal. Got it. Mm, yeah, like, from the it. bay, from northern Ca- Sacramento. Yeah. Hella. It makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. It makes hella sense. We say. We, I mean, in Texas, in Texas, it's y'all, right? Y'all, I mean, it's it's y'all. yeah. yeah so all right, so okay. so Sacramento. So I grew up in in Sacramento. Um, you know, I went to the same elementary school that my dad went to. I grew up in the same house that my dad grew up in, wow. uh, which was really cool. Um, and then. Same elementary school, uh, different junior high, same high school as my dad. Actually, I had some of the same high school teachers that my dad mm, had, wow. huh. uh, which is crazy. Um, Did you find out if your dad was a badass kid? Um, <laughs> he, well, he was a badass. Was he? Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> and he had a reputation, you know, of – my dad's always been a super hard worker. Mm-hmm. But my dad was one of those athletes um, when he was younger that he, he was all in on, on, on sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a really good athlete. He was big. I mean, he was a big guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely didn't get those genes from him. I mean, he's, you know, he's always been like, you know, he's six foot, six foot one, always right around the 230, 240 yeah. range, muscle, Dang. you know, just yeah. a big yeah. dude. Um, you know, he actually has a picture of him and Dave Draper, the old blonde bomber, yeah. the yeah. bodybuilder yeah. from yeah. back in the day. Uh-huh. The two of them doing side by side bicep poses down on Muscle Beach, um, which is cool. He, <laughs> you know, he played, my guy, he played he played <laughs> semi pro football, uh-huh. um, and you know, so I got that obviously that the the work ethic from my dad and my mom. My mom's a super hard worker as well. Uh, they actually met in a gym. And my mom couldn't afford personal training. My dad was super poor, but he was a big dude. And she's like, hey, can you, you know, train me? I can't afford it. She's like, but I can cook you meals. My dad's super poor. He's like, done. <laughs> right? But the, cool, the funny thing is my mom was a vegan or vegetarian at the time. I don't know. One of those unique people. So got and, uh, unique got me. people. And, you know, and he's just like the exact opposite. Yeah. Right? And so she like had to learn, which I think was cool. That is cool. That to learn to cook for him. Yeah. And anyway, so that's how it happened. And then they eloped, they got married and I came about and then my brother and my sister and we had a really good family, a really good upraising. We were in church all the time. 
Um, you know, my dad says that was his saving grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't, he didn't end up dead or in prison, uh, was in church. Uh, we did Christian Boy Scouts growing up called Royal Rangers. Um, every spring break in high school, kids were out partying. I was down in Mexico building houses for the homeless, oh. uh, through Young Life, which is a, you know, youth yeah. group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'd go down there and it was, it, you know, it was cool. I, my grandparents, we, uh, they had property up in Northern California in the foothills, mm-hmm. uh, like Auburn, Meadow Vista area. Beautiful. So yeah, it's Love it up there. God's country up there. And, um, you know, so we would go up there and I'd play Navy SEALs up there and that's where it came oh, so from. Oh, so it was early on. That the, oh, like this is- six, seven years, seven, eight years old. My brother mm-hmm. and I watched a documentary that, that had JFK talking about the SEAL teams and, um, it came back on and we had my mom record that and we literally watched that every weekend we'd watch it during the week before we go to bed and my brother Corey and i we were just infatuated with becoming navy seals and so we'd go to the garage sales of all the vietnam vets we'd talk with them we'd buy all their gear all their camouflage gear face paint the old canteen belts and the old you know we had it all and uh i had the old uh field survival manuals and handbooks that they used Mm -hmm. to like issue out to guys and you know, other kids were, you know, playing sports and trading baseball cards and football cards and all that stuff. And, man, I was, like, learning how to paint my face the right way for the train. <laughs> and I was building ghillie suits and, like, survival kits, which is not awesome. normal for most 9- no, 10-year-olds. No, that's no. awesome. But it worked out in my yeah. benefit, you yeah. know. Um, you know, I actually, it was just crazy. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but then when I became a sniper and went through sniper training and we we're doing all of our urban sniper training and learning how to do that type of stuff, I, I like flash back. I'm like, oh my gosh, I used to do that when I was a kid, not knowing what I was doing was the right thing. So you uh, can't tell me that God doesn't design us to do certain things. things that's right. Nobody Amen. can yeah. tell me anything different. Cause I'm, I'm telling you when I was a seal, and I wasn't the best seal all the time. I was good. And there's times I was really good at my job, mm-hmm. but I was absolutely designed to do that. Mm-hmm. When that time of my life came about where I was in the seal teams, it was a hundred percent what I was supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. So were like, you, no, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So were you shooting back then when you were a kid? Oh, were you, yes. did you, okay. Yes. What was How old so were you when guns, you got your first but weapon? Pellet guns. Pellet guns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, so here's a unique dynamic. My grandfather that we were super close to on my dad's side. Well, both my grandparents served in the military. My dad's dad was an old farmer from Nebraska. Had his mom sign an age waiver so he could go into the Navy in World War II when he was 16 or 17 years old because he's like, our country needs men. Mm. Yeah. A kid right. going that. And we don't even have men these days that are willing to like, right. act like men. Right. But yeah. that's a whole other topic. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. I'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back next week. <laughs> um, and so... Anyway, so he did that, and my mom's dad, you know, flew in the Army Air Corps. That was before the Air Force, and then he flew. Um, he um, was a bomber pilot in World War II, Korean War, and Vietnam War, and so I had that influence from mm-hmm. them. But uh, my dad and his dad didn't have a really good relationship when they were growing up. And my grandfather was a big hunter. And so Mm -hmm. because he was a big hunter, my dad was like, nope, don't want to do that. And so he never touched guns, you know, never did any of that. So I never actually fired an actual gun 
until I went into boot camp. No way. Oh, wow. Crazy, right? I'd never touched an actual gun. Wow. The first time I'm shooting a pistol is when I'm on my like third day of boot camp and they're screaming at me to like shoot the Navy qual. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and you're screaming at me. Wait, 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 wait. Third day of There's boot more camp. than one pellet in this thing? <laughs> yeah, wait. I have to reload after every shot? This happen? There's no pump on this. <laughs> yeah. That's like saying I showed up for my first college football game but I'd never tackled anybody, anybody before. A hundred percent. That's right. amazing. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I had a contract to go try out to be a SEAL after I got done <laughs> with boot camp. Already. And my school. Yeah. So I went in with the contract to become a Navy SEAL. Wow. I had passed wait all the tests. Wait a minute. How, yeah, how yeah, does yeah, that yeah. work? Like, yeah. wait, wait, okay, let's do this. So we've gone like this. <laughs> let, me get, let me get us back to the gun thing. So the Guys, we went all the way back to World War II. <laughs> yeah. Shit, we can go back farther. Um so the guns I was shooting were pellet guns mm -hmm. and I actually was setting up urban sniper hides and I would shoot at vehicles that would drive by at vehicles. <laughs> yes. I, so I knew you were a badass. Guy. I just knew it before I it wasn't, brought, ever, you on, it wasn't so. ever in the window. And so here's the deal. I know what I was doing was wrong. I'm not sitting at the window. I've never shot the windows. Cause I, at that least, was really good. I at least had the wherewithal at that age to go, well, I could hurt somebody, <laughs> right. but it's not going through the metal on the car. Yeah. So I would practice shooting, shooting vehicles, cars, moving yeah. vehicles, moving vehicles yeah. from an elevated position in my garage <laughs> with all the lights turned off so that they had no idea where it was coming from. And there's a crack of this big. I'm not kidding. I cracked, I, I propped up the garage door to where it was like that big. And that's what I was shooting. How at. accurate were you? I was pretty Money. accurate. Yeah. <laughs> He's so, like, I did you missed the part where he said he was a sniper? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> kid. So, that move so JP, so, so as a young kid, you set up, you know, these, these sniper setups and, and you're, and you're, <laughs> you're shooting vehicles <laughs> with belly guns. But, so, bad. so you get into, bad, you get into high school and, and yep. now you're kind of nearing the age. Okay. No, no, no. Let's go back. Let's talk about, you know, the speech impediment you had in speech yeah, therapy so and speech, the impact that that had. Yeah, so I was in speech therapy all throughout elementary school. And, you know, instead of getting to go to all the recesses, I would go to the special class and learn to talk and pronounce certain things. Um, I mean, if I have a drink, like a shot, a glass of wine, a beer, like it comes out big time. Mm. Like I can't, there's, I will never be able to be like, if my wife's like, hey, have you had a drink? I will never be able to like, <laughs> nope. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's bad. <laughs> like, it's horrible. And then it's really fun when you just make up words because that's a cool trick that I have. Yes. So when I'm like speaking on a stage, like in front of O'Reilly Auto Parts with 11,000 people, <laughs> and I'm just like, don't screw this up. <laughs> don't screw this up. But yeah, there's like certain things that will come out that'll. So how did that me. affect you though socially with super, friends? Uh, and super awkward. I was uh, very shy. I mm -hmm. never made eye contact. Um, you know, and it wasn't until my dad noticed it, and I saw some of my friends from elementary school. Mm -hmm. We were in junior high, and I wasn't very big. I was, you know, super short. I was skinny. When I wrestled in eighth grade, like I was, my son's wrestling. Mm. He's my bonus son. He's my right. stepson, but he's yeah. my son, right? right. Wrestling's best sport and on the planet, by the way. Yeah, and so he's wrestling this year, and he's a freshman, and he's wrestling at. Uh, 162. Yeah, that's mm. what he weighs. He's big. He's already like six freshman one. at 162. He's six one. Wears size 13 shoe. <laughs> it's crazy. Word. And I was laughing. I was like, Yeah, when I wrestled in junior high, I wrestled at 89. 
189. No, 89. No one before that. Yeah. And, you know, that's not the smallest. Like, you get into, it's like, they go down to like 60 pounds in junior high. Yeah. The smallest weight class. There's 60 pound seventh graders out there. Yeah. I was not a big kid. I wasn't tall and I was super skinny. Um, um, I mean, I was athletic. Yeah. I was powerful and, you know, quick and, you know, but uh, I was just, I didn't have any confidence. I, right. I, I lacked confidence. Even though I was good at sports, even though I had a great family life, I lacked confidence because of the speech impediment. Okay. And it wasn't until my dad noticed it. And I remember him pulling me aside when we were leaving the mall because he saw, like, I saw all my friends and he's like, hey, why? He's like, why were you, ha- why did you have your head down the whole time? You weren't making eye contact to mm. any of them. I'm like, I don't know. He goes, come on, why? I was like, I don't know. I just, I, I just, I don't know. I'm just smaller than everybody. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm, I mix up my words. And then I don't remember, I don't remember exactly the convert, like who he like was telling me about, but he was just like, Hey man, he's like, I can tell you that shit does not matter in life. Mm. And then he was like, you know, Spud Webb, right? So he starts yeah. telling me about Spud Webb, right? Yeah. And then I remember we, you know, a bunch of athletes, you know, that he was familiar with. And he was just like telling me about them. And he's like, I promise you, that's, ne- that's never going to be a restriction in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, because my parents were a little more mindful of it, they would make sure that they would, you know, address it or talk about it and just mm-hmm. kind of like guide and coach me along the way. And, uh, and then I got into high school and I, um, you know, I, w- I never really, I had good friends, but I wasn't like a popular kid. I didn't fit into a group, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I played football because my dad played football, and he's a yeah. good ball player. And the coach was like, Danelle, it was like my freshman year. He was like, Danelle, you, you going to play ball like your dad? I'm like, no. Because I didn't want to play football. Yeah. I wasn't good at it, and I had no desire <laughs> to play something that I sucked at, you know. Yeah. And, and it wasn't because I didn't want to get better. I just literally had no desire to play mm-hmm. football. Yeah. Um, and for, what was shitty about this teacher is because I, I didn't want to play football like my dad, he instantly was like, I don't like you. Mm. And my friends, yeah. my friends still to this day, they're like, remember so-and-so? I'm not going to say his name. Uh. And then they're like, they're like, man, he was a jerk just because you didn't want to play football like your dad. Right. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, he obviously has other stuff going on in his life that he's that angry. Right. Well, yeah, that, that's um, that important to him. That a, yeah, they that a, take it that out a on kid. a small freshman. Right. Yeah. Cool, you're, Did, you're yeah. a real man. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so anyways, went throughout high school, played my junior year, uh, was on the team, um, you know, enjoyed it. It was cool, it just... I, I, I did kickboxing. I did wrestling. Mm. I would go do adventure races. You know, like kids were oh, out nice. partying. I would go hang out with my friends at parties. I wouldn't drink. And then I would leave and I'd go link up with like my dad's friends that were, you know, going for a mountain bike up mm. in Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that they're out partying doing that. And I'm riding a mountain bike until four in the morning on trails. You know, it's just the stuff I liked. Right. You know? uh, I did awesome. an adventure race when we we're in high school. Uh, and I guess like all that kind of started preparing me for where I needed to be physically to go into the military. So did you know in your junior or senior year that that nope. was the next step? I had not thought about the military all throughout high school. It wasn't until my dad was a little frustrated with me because I got into a fight at a party. Uh, I was defending my friends and myself, but it doesn't matter. I got you know into what, a fight. how many times I've heard, you know what, man, JP? We've heard that story so many times. <laughs> 
I've said I've bro, told I'm, that same story. I was protecting my friend. Bro, I can, so I'm not saying that for legal matters. I am saying that for legitimate. There is no way in hell I would have started a fight with these gangbangers. Okay, no way. Yeah. Promise you, right. I was not looking for that one. You know, this is not one of those legal matters where I'm like, I was in fear for my life. I had no ways of getting away from this situation. I would like to talk to a lawyer. That is not the situation, buddy. I'm legitimately at a party. These gangbangers show up. All this stuff goes down. I get in a fight. Obviously, I'm not very good at fighting because I just shatter my hand. Mm, I mean, uh, I'm still missing that knuckle and you know, uh, I yeah. had, um, some stuff going on in my wrist and everything. And so anyways, I'm in a cast. My dad's a little frustrated with me because, you know, my dad got into fights in high school. And that's kind of part of his reputation was being a, a badass. Mm-hmm. And he would get in fights at parties. And he never, he never would start fights, but he also never was like trying to deescalate. And yeah. that's one of the things that he says. He's like, man, I just man, I got in so many fights for no reason. Yeah. He goes, because of my ego. Instead yeah. of me deescalating or leaving, I was like, oh, cool, you want to fight? And then him and his buddies would proceed to whoop these guys. <laughs> yeah. And then they would continue partying. And he, my dad, you know, he's going to be about, he's going to be 60 this year. And he's still a big dude. And he's like, man, I just, man, my ego got in the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, anyway, so he just didn't want me going down that, that, that path. Mm-hmm. Cause he, he knew what the path of partying <clears throat> and fighting leads to. Yeah. Right. And when my dad was in high school and, you know, that you get in a fight in the public or at a party, it's like, okay. Different time. In the 2000s? No. Different oh, yeah. time. And now in 2020? Hell no. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. And so he, you know, as a father was just looking out for me, he's yeah. like, what are you going to do after high school? And, you know, I thought about it and, I, you know, I gave him the answer. I'm sure no father would be super stoked to hear. He got, I told him, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be a whitewater rafting guy and live on the river. <laughs> That's what my best friend was doing. And Dude, on the Russian River, on the Trucky, I mean, the, yes, the American River. Yeah, the American River, from, yeah. Uh, down coming down from, 50, from yep. yep. It's amazing. And that's what my best friend was doing. He mm. literally, he camped all year long on the river. He party at night. Yep. And, you know, he's our whitewater rafting guide with yeah. one bill, his cell phone. Like nothing else, yeah, right? Yeah. And so I was like, man, that kind of seems like a good deal. Right. <laughs> you know, I can I, do that for 30 years for yeah, sure. That's definitely going to be a good solid career path. Wait, all, you have a lot of single girls that you take down the river? That sounds amazing. And, you know, anyways, and my dad was like, yeah, probably not. Mm-hmm. What about the military, you know? And, you know, the other option was I was going to go into construction with my old man. Right. And that's what he did. And, mm-hmm. you know, my dad and my grandfather didn't want me going that route because it's just long term you know there's there's just a lot of wear and tear on the body yeah. and they just they didn't want me doing that even though i enjoyed it and i liked what they did mm-hmm. my dad pushed me towards the military and um you know i honestly i hadn't thought of it all throughout high school and so i mm-hmm. go to work that night i'm working at steve's pizza and uh i look across the the street at the recruiting office that we'd always go to when we were younger we'd mm-hmm. always go there to get the posters of the seals and the marines and the rangers right. yeah. and the the pjs from the air force and we had them all in our bedrooms and our garage and you know, i said i'll go get some information just to kind of appease my father you know that's all i was right. going to do i took my break i walk in there and this is you know this is june yeah may may or june of 2001 okay. and um and they're all trying to be hard asses when I walk in there and be intimidating. They're like, what are you doing in here? What do you want? And, you know, I just remember looking at 
they I walk in the door like here and they're all kind of off to my left and I said well I'd like to join the Navy to become a Navy SEAL you know I was going in there to get information but it was that instant like they're like what are you doing in here trying to push me back instead of me going I would like some information I instantly like flipped the switch in my mind I was like I would like to join the Navy to become a Navy SEAL (laughs) I committed right then yeah I mean it was like it was weird and I remember they all kind of like started chuckling you gotta you gotta think about this at this time i'm about 135 pounds <laughs> i have bleach blonde hair that's right. like dyed you know right. i have puka shell necklaces on right. because that was cool yeah, that was the- hey 2001 in norcal that that's was it, really dude. cool that, that is it bleached right. hair and puka so you, shells yeah yeah. Tell, oh, yeah you know that was the go deal. back and look at my wrestling picks every single one <laughs> every single one of them. i think i wrestled a match with them on <laughs> Dude, yeah, my uh, my water polo. I played water polo my yeah. senior year, and my water polo picture is you know bleach blonde hair, oh, yeah. puka shell necklaces because that was the deal, man. Just a savage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, speaking of water polo, I wish I would have played that all it's, four years. <laughs> so I want to go back to these recruiters because like I, it, it's it's so funny, right? How perspectives change. You're this seventeen year old that walks yeah. into the recruiting office, and you're like, and I mean, granted, you reacted in a way that's like. Nah, man, you're going to bully me around. Yeah. But you're thinking, like, these dudes think that they're such a badass compared to me, like this stupid high school kid. Yeah. Now you look back, right, yeah. the, the experiences that you've gone through, and I don't know what their military career was and what, but they got stationed as a recruiter, right? Maybe they maybe they actually they went on deployments or, yeah. or whatever, yeah. right, and that was it. But you're like, I, I want to become a badass SEAL. Like, uh, the perspective shift looking back I now. was Yeah, so I – and I, I had enough – kind of awareness of the military mm-hmm. to know like none of these guys are seals yeah mm-hmm. yeah and like who are you to laugh at me yeah you mm-hmm. know like and another thing that my parents taught us is you never allow another human being to dictate what you can or can't do absolutely yeah. you don't allow yeah. someone else to do that nobody has that control over you mm-hmm. i mean how many people doubted you throughout your oh, life man, and your all, career yeah all the time i mean yeah you, you know yeah. you asked me like signature drink like you know, when you were a kid or you're in junior high and high school, like how many people did you tell or, you know, or talk about playing in the NFL and even in college and yeah. your career that kind of laughed or was like, oh, yeah, cool. Let us know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then also when you do it, they're like, oh, man, I always believe. I always knew that. You're bullshit. You're like, you're full of shit. No, you didn't. You laughed at me. I have you on the list over here. I, cre- I kept the list. You guys don't think I don't take lists? Just cross the names out with lipstick. Yeah. It's not that. Not like that Billy type. Madison. Billy Madison type. He's like, oh, that was a good phone call. He's done. No, but like, you know, I keep track of that. Yeah. I keep track. And I always have, you know, and I've got my, my buddies, you know, and there was a core group that were like, dude, that's awesome. And then there was a good group of people that are like, man, you know, trying to talk me out of it. Like they're protecting me. Right. You know how hard that is? Yeah. That's why I want to do it. Yeah. So anyway, so I, you know, there's one other recruiter. He's an old senior chief. And he goes, Hey, you know, two things, young, young man. I thought it was cool. He was, he was super professional. He's Mm -hmm. this older gentleman. And he says, you know, the Navy's not going to do anything with that cast on your hand. We can't touch you. We won't even start the process. Two, the Navy SEAL wannabe recruiter, and that pissed me off. Mm. But he's like, the Navy SEAL wannabe recruiter, he'll be back on Thursday. So if you want to come back in two days, Petty Officer Garrett will take care of you. Mm. I was like, okay, this was on a Tuesday. I went yeah. in there. So I went back to work. I'm just thinking about it, and I was like, yep, that's what I'm doing. 
And so I, I was super excited to get home after work to tell my dad. So I get home and then uh, my dad asked me how work was. And I brought some cheesy breadsticks back from work and, and gave them <laughs> yes. to him because that was his deal. He loved those. Wait, what pizza place was it? Steve's Pizza. Y'all have mountain mics up there too? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mountain okay. mics is legit. Okay. And round table. Yes. yes. <laughs> Go back to the cheese. Come on. Yes. So, what, what kind of it? cheese? So, so, so I, bring, I bring my dad. That was my thing. I'd always bring him some food after work. And um, he asked how work was, and I told him, I was like, hey, you know, I want to I wanna join the Navy to become a Navy SEAL, but the recruiter said that I can't start the process with this cast on my hand. Like the Navy won't do anything. And my dad, I, he was just sitting there and he goes, and he always, he's thinking, he always kind of goes, he's like, how soon do you want to go? I was like, as soon as possible. Cause in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> if I don't, can I leave tomorrow? Do I, how right. does this work? Do I just pack a bag and show up? Like, right. I don't know. Right. Like, is this like world war two and the bus picks me up? Like, well, how does this work? You know? And, um, he goes, go in the bathroom, start soaking your cast in warm water. So I go in there, I turn on warm water. And I'm just like, just letting it soak. Right. How long have you had it on at this point? Ooh, not long enough. <laughs> 11 days. So 11 days. Broke the, on, man. Bro- yeah. Broke the knuckle, fractured both the bones oh, of my hand and fractured car- oh. my wrist. 11 days. days. Yeah, not, like I said, not smart. I'm no doctor, but okay. that doesn't sound long enough. <laughs> yeah, I said a few holiday ends though. And uh, so I made that professional decision. And so my dad comes in with some tools from the garage and we cut my cast off. Man, I thought my mom was going to kill him. Oh, yeah. I thought she was going to kill him when she came home because now my cast is cut off and I can't even do this. Oh, like, you, I yeah. Like, yeah. I yeah. can't do anything with my hand. And I'm like, hey, she's like, why is your cast off? I'm like, oh, I'm going in the Navy to become a Navy SEAL. And she's like, what? Like, looks at my dad and, like, starts crying. You know, right. I was all upset. But she knew it was what I needed to do. And so, anyways, so we, um, I go back to the recruiters two days later. And I remember I walked in and that senior chief, like, looked at me walking in the door. And he looked at my hand without the cast. And he said, Petty Officer Garrett's going to take care of you. Damn. And I just started yeah. the process, you know. And, uh. um, I, you know, I told the recruiter, I was like, hey, I, you know, I couldn't even, like, I literally couldn't hold a pen or pencil tight mm. enough mm. to be able to, to sign my name. <clears throat> and so we were just kind of slow rolling the process for me to go get physically checked out, but doing all the paperwork mm. and, uh, you know, you know, Oh, something came up. He can't come here. He's got, you know, missed this appointment, missed this appointment. We're right. trying yeah. to get to where I could actually like pass a physical. Yeah. And so I started working construction with my dad and we would take, you know, some boxing hand wraps and wrap my hand real tight. Mm-hmm. And then I would grab, um, grab a hammer and then he would literally take athletic tape and duct tape and tape it into my grip to where that was like a part of my body. And that's how I would work oh my eight, 10, 12 hours a day for my old man, um, you know, doing this remodeling job on this house. And then as that got better, I was, you know, pouring concrete and doing brick and block work and having to grip stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. That's you know, really started yeah, coming he back. Would, he yeah. would make me like, he's like, Nope, one hand with that. And I'm like, Oh, just like pain Damn. just every single day. Just my hand is aching, but we got a strong enough to where when I went through maps and, Got everything passed, like no issues. And then in boot camp, no issues at all. And my big thing, my concern was getting to buds with all the physical activity yeah, right. if my hand was going to be strong enough. Yeah. Dude, my dad did everything 
to physically and mentally prepare me for SEAL training. Mm. I mean, it was, you know, I'll, I'll forever be in debt to him, you know, and sometimes we get frustrated with our parents as we get older and they get older and they, you know, and, and I think that's natural. Right. And I always try to remind myself like, Hey, they sacrificed everything for you yeah. in the first yeah. place. Right. Right. And what my parents did for me throughout my career in the military, like I'll never be able to pay them back. Like, I don't know mm. how I will. And that was a start. It was my dad preparing me, pushing me physically to my limits. Where right. I, I was never, I wasn't crying, but like tears in my eyes from working so hard for him, him just screaming at me, yelling at me, you know, this like carrying buckets of concrete around the house and like literally making me run. Like I wasn't able to uh, walk. Yeah. Like I'd have to run. I'd set it down. I have to run to the front and grab brick and block work. And I wasn't allowed to use a wheelbarrow for anything other than large loads of concrete. And it was just, you know, I'd put you know concrete bags on each shoulder and carry them and run with them. And he'd be like, "All right, you're, you're going to carry that next bag over here above your head, like log PT and stuff right. like that." And he was just, he was putting me in an uncomfortable situations that whole summer. And then I'd go to the river. And I would practice my swimming in the river. I'd literally swim upstream. That's how I swam. And I would practice my breath holds. I would dive down to the bottom of the river and climb myself up river by holding onto rocks and pulling myself upstream. So you're training. Like, oh, this is like, there this is, is like Rocky a, style yeah. training. And yeah. that's like, a, you can ask any of my friends I grew up with in high school. They're like, he was insane with his training. I'd go to the river. Everyone would be there hanging out in the San Juan Rapids, right. drinking and partying. And I would be literally practicing my breath holds swimming upstream. And right. then I'd pop up and then I'd float down and I would do it again. And yeah, it was. Why were you, why do you think it was so important though? Why were you willing to put yourself through all that? Do you think? I committed to it. And honestly, I'd quit everything else in my life at an early age. Mm. Mm. My dad reminded me of that. My man. He was like, hey, don't quit this. Because every time I'd get frustrated in sports or something else, I would just quit. I'd be like, I don't want to do this anymore. This mm. sucks. I was a poor sport. I was a little shithead. Yeah. Man, my dad was just like, don't quit this. You got, if you got time, go back and listen to an episode. We talk about quitting. Yeah. I mean, Ben's story. That's my, that's me, man. And now, now of the three of us, he's the most extreme disciplined (laughs) extremist. It does something to you, man. When you're constantly a quitter, it does something to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and I was, and my dad, I just remember my dad saying, Hey, don't quit this. Right. And I was like, not going to. And I just, you know, and I mean, my uncle was a PJ, uh, which is an Air Force Spe- Special Forces pararescue. And I mean, he did over, th- he did 30 years. Damn. <clears throat> yeah, he yeah. was a tier one guy. He worked out on the East Coast with some of those special units out mm-hmm. there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I never understood why he always had a beard. I'm like, you're in the military, but you have long ass beard and right. hair. I don't get this. And then I got in the military. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you were one of those guys. All right, cool. Thanks for never telling me. Right. <laughs> jerk <laughs> anyways and so um you know he gave me some insight on training and because he had worked with a bunch of seals and trained with them and mm-hmm. you know their 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 selection process is <laughs> legit right i mean because it's a lot of water stuff also and people don't like the water they're not comfortable mm-hmm. and so here's the other reason why i was going through i was putting myself in those horrible situations because i was claustrophobic and had a fear of drowning and I know how hard SEAL training is when it comes mm-hmm. to drown proofing yeah. and all that other stuff. So, you know, just holding your breath still underwater ain't going to fix it. But I was holding my breath, literally swimming through rapids and pulling myself upstream and, you know, pushing myself to the limits, um, which, you know, I think back, I'm like, oh, that's probably not super smart without yeah. somebody there. Yeah. yeah. But, you, by yourself, huh? you know, I also knew what I had to do. And yeah. at the same time, 
you know, you're not always, people aren't going to be so fortunate in life to have somebody that's going to coach and mentor them mm-hmm. along the yeah. way. Sometimes you got to figure shit out on your own. Yeah, to get that's, to work. that's yeah. a great point. And because how much did you know about what buds was going to be like? Nothing. At that point, it's I not like you could jump test. online and no, you, there can't, was nothing you can't figure out, right? That, 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 that special class 234 yeah. hadn't even come out yet. Yeah. That came out when I was in a school, like getting ready to go to buds. Yeah. So, so, so no idea. And that's, and that's one thing that I want, I want people to hear this is you've just got to work sometimes and you've got to prepare yourself for the worst and over, over prepare. Mm -hmm. And, and this is it because if you don't know then, but you've still got to make movement. You can't have all the answers before you take a risk and go start and do this. Just go and just get it. And that's what sounds like you did. And the other question I had for you, as we put a pin in the story for just a second, how important is it? To put yourself knowingly and intentionally in uncomfortable situations. It's critical if you want to achieve success in life. If you don't, then just float along in the middle. And that's yeah. fine because mm-hmm. we need people like that in life. I mean, we do. Honestly, let's, yeah. let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. We yeah. need worker bees. You yeah, we need our worker bees. Right. But if you're listening to this podcast and you actually want to achieve something, not for yourself, but for your family and for your community, and for what for somebody else, right? If it allows you to serve other people at a greater level, get your ass to work. Mm-hmm. Get yourself uncomfortable. If you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you will never achieve greatness in life. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. You, you awesome. never will. Yeah. Yeah. There's totally. a very few things that yeah. I'm like, I'll put a stamp on it. That is one of those things where I can yeah. guarantee you, yeah. like, yeah. You know, if you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you'll never achieve greatness. I mean, you look at Jocko, right? Yeah. The mm-hmm. guy that I work for. It's insane. It's absolutely insane, the opportunity I have. I've been working for him since 2005. Mm. And we get done with one of our events. It's called The Muster. It's a two-day leadership event that we host. Um, They're awesome. And it's a lot, right? That whole week prepping. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're running on two to three hours of sleep, you know, just getting everything ready. The PTs in the morning, you know, the events. We get done with The Muster. And that's usually when the team's like, oh, good. Like, we all kind of relax, do our thing. And I remember we were at one of them. It was the one that we did in New York. And I'm up in his room talking to him about. I came up to his room to talk to him about a few things. And he's sitting there reading everything. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, man, I got to get this book ready. I got I have to get this book read so I can get ready for the podcast. You know, because he has a podcast mm-hmm. out there. Right. Yep. You know, pretty Phenomenal. successful. A- avid <laughs> listener. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he, you know, we get done with one thing and he's boom, straight on to the next thing. Not. Not There's relaxing, no yeah. not shutting it down, yeah. just staying uncomfortable, staying in the grind. And I hate saying grind because so many people are like, oh, I'm out here grinding. You're like, yeah. no, you're not. No. <laughs> you went to work. <laughs> yeah. You did a job. Yeah. You're in traffic at 830 on your way to the yeah. office. <laughs> you did not grind at your nine to five. I'm sorry. Maybe someone doesn't like me now. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's a long list of people that don't. But. Jocko literally grinds. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. Like, you guys know what it means. You guys Follow him on grind. Instagram. I mean, you, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, you just, but I, I, I just remember seeing that. And I'm like, dang. Yeah. That's impressive. But there's a reason why Jocko has what he has in mm. life. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it, you just change, you know, you have to change what you're doing if you want to change your environment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And being uncomfortable is part of that, man. 100%. Right. So you're in buds, man. So when you get there, I'm sure you're sizing everyone up. And everyone sizing you up at the same time. How uncomfortable uncomfortable was that situation? So it was kind of uncomfortable. It wasn't too bad, though, because you're kind of like, okay, this is what everyone's doing. Mm -hmm. 
the uncomfortable part was seeing other grown men just scared, Ugh. like terrified. Mm-hmm. I was nervous because this is the biggest thing I've ever done in my right. life. Mm-hmm. And I know going through BUDS, the training, it's the hardest military training in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's the hardest that there is. And I just like the attrition rate is so high. Yeah. You show up, you see the line of all the other guys that have already been quitting. And, you know, so yeah, you should be nervous, but nerves are a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I have my phone off, but I don't, I don't want to butcher this quote, but I, I text a picture of uh, Aiden to Jocko Leif and Cody uh, before his first wrestling meet. And, um, you're just like, hey, getting ready to do his first wrestling meet ever, right? He's mm-hmm. never wrestled in his life until his freshman year of high school. So it's going to be an eye-opener for right. him. And Jocko texts him back and said, hey, make sure you tell him those nerves are natural. That's your body's way of preparing you for combat. Mm-hmm. And it makes yeah. you perform, and that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. being, having nerves is fine. Being scared, that's a different thing. Yeah. Right? And, you know, seeing scared men was just weird. It yeah. was just I'm like, you guys doing right you know and so that was awkward for me um and then what was weird was when i had already been in the teams for a while and i was trying out for another group and um all the guys in there like sizing each other up i'm like guys we're all in the same community yeah. what are you guys doing but that was nerves, was nerves. Yeah, yeah that was that nerves again yeah. and so yeah. um it was weird yeah for sure weird mm-hmm. uh seeing other guys like that but you know, we started with 222 guys on day one. And when I graduated, I believe I was one of 28 of those originals. Gosh. And, uh, you know, it was cool. 90% you know, it was, attrition. That's you know, you just, and, you know, that's, you know, it varies from class to class. It's yeah. usually 70 to 80%. And we just had a big, big class when we started. And guys get rolled back, yeah. and, you know, whatnot. Right. But, you know, we had guys roll into our class from the previous. But, yeah, it was, you know. For me, one thing it taught me was like you never judge someone by their looks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you look at me like, especially when I was going into the into the military, like, oh, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Everybody was like, okay, buddy, <laughs> have fun, pal. You know, like your parents here with you, like right. you know, nobody thought I would ever do that. And um, you see guys that go through training, and it's just it shows you that the unassuming can do amazing things right. if they decide that they want to in life. And then as I've been out of the military and, you know, in the jujitsu world and training jujitsu, that's the other thing it showed me. I mean, some of the most badass guys I've ever done jujitsu with, you look at them, you're like, look at that dork. Yeah. And he literally would be able to break every bone on your body while you're unconscious. And I'm not exaggerating. Like some of the top jujitsu guys in the world actually live in this Dallas area Mm -hmm. that I have the opportunity to train with. They're at my gym, other gyms that I go cross train at. Um, And it's just like, they are super unassuming, unassuming yeah. but they are able to handle business. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you saw that in football as Absolutely. well. You know, the, yeah. you know, guys are like, mm. and then you, when it comes time to performing on game day, you're like, okay. Yeah. That's training I camp, right? You look at the guys, <clears throat> you know, look like Tarzan, play like Jane there type you guys. Mm-hmm. You see those guys. But I would say in football, the big scary looking dudes Chances of them being big, scary football players are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You sort but, of know. But you're right, right? In jiu-jitsu, I mean, I mean I've mean, i met the the Gracie grandsons a couple of times out in Southern California, and they're tall. They're tall, big guys, yeah. but by no means are they big, right? Like, they're just tall and long, mm, yeah. and literally, like, like, that would put you to sleep. Yeah, I was at a gym yesterday cross-training. Uh, I got invited to come train with their pro team. I'm like, 
okay, mm. <laughs> I shouldn't be here. But then again, I'm <laughs> going to go take a, that opportunity. Be uncomfortable. And yeah, I'm just like, this is super. I was driving there. I'm like, hey, dad, just you're going to watch me get my ass beat. <laughs> just preparing you. It's going to be an hour and a half of me getting my ass beat. And he's kind of chuckling. I'm like, oh, I'm being serious. Like, this is not me being trying to be humble or anything. Right. He's like, oh, okay. And my wife, even before she left, she's like, hey, Patrick, make sure he doesn't die because <laughs> these guys, you know, I'm like, thanks, honey. Appreciate it. Yeah. But she had come and, you know, and you know, same at my gym, right? right? Like when I train, when we have Saturday comp classes or, you know, if I get a role and train with the black belts, it's like, dude, I am, I am in a world of hurt, mm, yeah. but I love the opportunity to be able to train with that caliber of people because it keeps me uncomfortable, which when you are uncomfortable, it keeps you from being complacent mm. and complacency kills. Yeah. It kills everything that's great in your life. <laughs> yeah. It'll kill, kill your marriage. It'll kill your relationship with your kids. It'll kill your relationship with your family, your community. It'll kill your business. I've literally seen complacent leaders allow multi-million dollar companies completely fall apart because they Jeez. got complacent. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. It, you know, in the military, we'd always say, you know, the disease of victory. You know, when you're doing really well, you have to be careful of the disease of victory creeping in because that's when guys get complacent and that's when guys get injured and or killed in training and in combat because it's the whole like, well, we've always done it. That's right. It's not going to happen to me. No, yeah. you, you, you can't allow that to happen. And so. So you're in buds. You're, you're going through and you graduate. But going through it and when you entered as a SEAL, what was, what was the, the fact of the SEALs that attracted you? Was it looking forward to combat? Was it looking forward to the team atmosphere and the strategy and just the, the complexity of the missions that you guys would be on? What was it? I mean, was it the patriotism? What was it that really yeah, drove that, you that that's way? That's right, because it was 2001, right? So yeah, this, this is, is like 9-11 is... 9-11 hadn't happened. I was in, I was in my sixth wow. day of boot camp when 9-11 happened. Mm, I, went, I, I left for boot camp September 5th, 2001. So the draw to the wow. SEAL teams was simply that, um, that documentary that yeah. we had watched. And um, because, again, because I have that big fear of drowning... My, I always did swim team and or yeah. water polo or something in the water. I'm very, a very strong swimmer. I'm, I'm comfortable, but the fear of drowning is just crazy. Like if even still now as an adult, you know, I'll be 38 on St. Patrick's day yes. this month, you know, and if, you know, we are all hanging out at a pool party and if you guys started roughhousing the water, like I get out of the pool or get away from you because I don't want to get drawn into it. Mm. And like, dude, my best friends that I was telling you about, like Steven and Tyler and Dane and all those guys, uh, the guys that I was like, hey, is this, you know, they're like, dude, that guy is legit. Go on that show. You know? right. <laughs> and like, we'll, we'll hang out on the pool and they know they don't mess with me in the water because I just, bro, I turn it on quick or mm. I'm like, hand on throat. I'm holding you underwater. Like, don't play fight with me in the water because right. I have that. Just mm, yeah. immense fear right. of being drowned, mm. and uh, they always mess with me. Like Stephen, he's a big boy. He'll like come to me. I'm like, you know what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, just playing. We ain't going to do that because we've play fought. Like where it's like, hey man, okay, if we're going to play fight in the water, here's our here's our rules and regulations. Right. We um, don't do this or this because then I'll just freak out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're my best friend. I love you. <laughs> and uh, but anyways, yeah, it was just putting myself in those uncomfortable okay. situations. Um, and yeah, I really, you know, that's why I did all the swim team and that's what drew me to the SEAL teams. Sorry, my TBI is 
took me somewhere no, else. No, no, no. All good. All good. Yeah. 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 I was trying to like <laughs> say bring words. Us, hey, like, we words all three have. Bring me yeah. back. Words. Water. Lamps. Comfortable <laughs> lamps. That's a really cool plant up there. Oh, the seal team. Yes. yes. Uh, it, was, it wasn't anything other than just what I knew. Yeah. I mean, because the Army, they're amazing. Marines. They're the most elite fighting force the world has ever mm-hmm. seen. Yeah. Let's be real. And the Air Force, amazing as well, right? Yeah, and right. so all the branches have amazing people, amazing units. Some of the most amazing humans I've ever worked with was on our deployment to Ramadi in 2006. That were soldiers and Marines yeah. that were just grunts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the most amazing humans, you know. And so it wasn't like hey, this is better than them. It yeah. was just what I knew and kind of what yeah. I wanted. So okay. when did it begin to, for you to be specific in what you were doing as far as a sniper is concerned? So that didn't happen until I always wanted to be a sniper. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in my first workup and deployment, I did a lot of like work with the snipers to try to learn and just be mm-hmm. around them. You know, um, my, my thing, I, I've at least been able to learn, at least from an early age, is nothing is owed to you mm-hmm. and nobody's going to give you anything. Right. And so and that's how my opportunity with Jocko and Echelon Front came about is because I know the, the mentor seeks out the mentee. Right. Right. I'm sorry. Right. The mentor, mentor does, does not seek, seek out, out the mentee. mentee. Right. You have to seek out those mentors in your right. life and you have to show your worth and prove to them. Why, why is mm-hmm. somebody going to allocate time and resources to you? Why? Mm-hmm. What's in it for them? And what is in it for the future? Like, mm-hmm. what, what are they building up? And I at least knew that at an early age. And I knew that I needed to provide value to the sniper. So I was always like, hey, what do you need help with? And just asking them questions and helping them, just whatever I could help them with. And when we came back from our first deployment, we knew um, our leadership just had this feeling that we needed a lot of snipers trained up mm-hmm. in case we went to Ramadi. Um, and, and so I got picked <laughs> to go to sniper school. And before I could even raise my hand when they're like, hey, we need, you know, guys to go to sniper school. This is how many guys we need. Like before I could even raise my hand, it was like, Danelle. I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, thank you, Lord. And uh, we, I went through a short NSW type of uh, sniper course mm-hmm. that was put on by the snipers in our training uh, cadre at the time. And it was awesome. I mean, these guys are legit. One of them, his name is Charlie Melton. He's been out for a while. Um, I think. I want to say about a year ago ish, you know, I think he broke some world record for mm. long range shooting and mm. you know, he lives here in Texas too. And so he was just, awesome. you know, I was able to be ta- taught by really good instructors, mm-hmm. you know, and Chris Kyle was my counterpart. So, mm-hmm. so when we deployed to Ramadi, Chris Kyle was a point man and lead sniper for Charlie platoon under Leif Babin. Right. I was a point man and lead sniper under in Delta platoon under Seth stone. And, Seth and Leif worked under Jocko. So Jocko was our task unit commander right, got it. in charge of those two groups. And so I got selected to go to sniper school. I performed very well. Um, we did our workup. I continued to perform very well as a sniper. It's just one of those things that was weird. It naturally came to me. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. retrain and wind and everything and just make adjustments in my mind and do it and be on target. I literally, I can do that faster than technology today with, with stuff. It's weird. Wow. Again, it's a God thing. Right. Yeah. I, I'm it's telling a gift, you, huh? Like, it yeah. is an absolute yeah. God thing because, right. like, I've, and I've taught long-range shooting since I've been out and helped out other people with courses that they have put on, and I'll just be, like, assessing everything, and I'll tell my shooter, like, hey, you know, hold two, two minutes to the right, and the other instructor will be, like, spotting. He's like, nah, and they'll, they'll make their call, and I'm like, 
hold two minutes right trust me mm-hmm. like i'll just look at my shooter yeah. and be like trust me they'll do what i tell them to do boom dink dead center yeah and then the other instructor is like okay because yeah. they're going off this data <laughs> that they yeah, this have. big graph sheet <laughs> yeah, right like, it's like yeah. you know they're like you know with all the barometric and the out you know all those things come into play when you're shooting right, yeah. i know that but for whatever reason i can just read it there's an intuition I, to it. There's a, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. And I'm, and I'm not that good of an instructor. Like, if you were to talk data on, like, like all the specs on sh- long-range shooting, I'm like, bro, I have buddies I can connect you with. Right. <laughs> I can shoot decent, and I can teach you how to shoot decent. But yeah. you, if you want all the details of long-range shooting, right. I ain't your friend. Right. Like, I'm sorry. I'm going to waste your time. It's just weird. And so I, I naturally had that in the workup. Mm. But, again, I had good mentors. I had good friends that were teaching me and I wish mm. I could say their names, but they're still in. Mm. I mean, these guys are legends like yeah. with what they've done and what they're awesome. going to do. Mm. And Chris Kyle was one of those guys. And so if you've read his book or watched the movie, you know, they tease him about the young sniper that was catching up to him. That was me when I was 23. Oh, I was, no that, yeah, that was me in Delta platoon. And so just again, Unique opportunity, right right place, right time. But I also had a team in place that allowed me to do that. It wasn't like I was going out on my own as a sniper. No, I had Mikey Mansoor who got the medal of honor because he Mm. jumped on a grenade that was Mm. tossed on a rooftop, you know, and he, you know, he, that was on September 29th, 2006 is when he died. We were packed up, ready to go home. Right. That Mm. he was by my side every single mission. I was our point man. Guess who was right by me with the machine gun? Mikey, right? Right. So I wasn't able to do these things without the support of other people. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that people need to understand. And, you know, we talk about being uncomfortable. You'll achieve nothing great if you're not willing to be uncomfortable. But I'm telling you right now, you will also achieve nothing great by yourself. If you're not building up a team, if you're not training a team, if you're not equipping a a team to be able to do what you're doing, you're failing yourself, you're failing as a leader, and you're failing your future. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot achieve greatness by yourself. I don't care. That's so true. Show me one person that has. So true. They haven't. I mean, think about just your story, right? You talk about your your dad, your mom, your grandfather, uh, aunts I mean, and uncles. Aunts, yeah. un- I mean, and then and then your instructors. I mean, even that recruiter. I mean, all these yeah. people that had an influence that got you to where to where you were, you know, performing in the seals. And then and then obviously the the next chapter of your life that we'll, we'll get into here in a yeah. little bit. But I mean, the mentors in that aspect. So so as you're as you went on three three deployments, yep, correct? Yep, okay. Three. Now, how old are you at this in this in this time frame? So <laughs> when we deployed to Ramadi, I went home on. Pre-deployment leave in March, and I turned 23. Mm-hmm. And then we deployed to Ramadi, and our our lead sniper, our point man, and they put me in a position of leadership as our leading petty officer at the age of 23. Jeez. I was the youngest and most junior-ranking guy in our task unit, and then now they put me in charge of a group that went out to the eastern side of Ramadi. We were operating out of a forward operating base. It was literally mm-hmm. a blown-out building. So if you took this building, you just blew out all the walls, and had everything. That's exposed. the one we're talking about on an extreme ownership, right? Oh, yeah. It's the same. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so we lived at this old blown out building that we built up, and we were working with these soldiers and Marines on the eastern side. The rest of our platoon and Charlie platoon stayed out at the big base on the west, yeah. and we just coordinated our attacks and worked together. Uh, yeah, I was 23 years old. So that would you, so you're getting missions called when you're out there being deployed. Was there, and I'm sure there's a level of, nerves there's and i don't know if i want to say fear but like obviously there it's very real like every mission something could go never fear okay so 
Was I, that because of training or is that because? That was training, my leadership, and my faith. Okay. Mm. Uh, faith number one, yeah. obviously. I, yep. I said it last. But my faith, I, it was my faith because I knew that if something happened, I knew where I was going. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew what was happening. I was going, I'm going to heaven uh, and I'm going to be living a really good life. Yeah. Um, obviously didn't want that to happen because the, the pain that it puts on your family, but I expected it. I actually prepared myself Mm. for that because we knew where we were going. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's a good thing that Jocko did as a leader is he told us the truth. Mm -hmm. He didn't try to protect us and not tell us the truth. He told us the truth of how horrible Ramadi was of how violent it was. There was four to 5,000 enemy fighters in that area that we were headed over to. I mean, they had complete control of that city. They were flying these insurgent fighters were flying their flag over the capital in Al Anbar Providence. Mm. They had complete control. The, the, the local populace would allow them to do whatever they wanted because if they didn't, they would come back and they would rape, torture, and then murder the family. Mm. And so guess what the rest of the populace started doing? Whatever they wanted them to do. Right. That's because insane. they because they couldn't do anything. They literally could not fight back and do anything. How hard is it? And look, I'm not saying we don't have issues that we need to resolve oh, here. Yes. But how hard is it for you to see with your own two eyes what a population what can be done to them by app terrorists, okay. right? And then you're home and you're like, guys, we live we have it so unbelievable good. It's life. It's ridiculous how good we have it. And and you spend your time and effort complaining about, um, you know, they believe this or they believe that or no, I'm right. I need to I need to be able to use this bathroom or that bathroom. And it's like those are the efforts that we're doing when we have people all over the globe that are being raped, murdered, enslaved, and and you saw that with your two. How do you handle that here? You know, you, it's it's hard to control my emotions when I. When I hear people complaining about the stuff yeah. that's really not stuff to complain about or just mm-hmm. people wanting to be a victim or wanting mm-hmm. to be offended about something new. I mean, really, Mr. Potato Head? We're, we're offended yeah. by Mr. Potato Head right now? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, you know like, what, think man? about true, that man. as a society. Yeah. That yeah. is a very dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, yeah. If we're able just to be like, hey, I'm really offended by that star up there. The, that star bothers me. Mm-hmm. Take it out or I'm not doing this, the rest of this podcast. Yeah. And people yeah. are like, oh, I'm sorry. Look, you know what? You want me to take my Super Bowl helmet yeah. out of here too? <laughs> yeah. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like yeah. people are so easy to just conform that they don't understand how dangerous of a place that is for our society to be mm-hmm. trending towards that the way. The disease of victory, right? Yes. Be, yes, it is the disease of victory because we have it so good in yeah. America. Yeah, We have it so good here. And... You know, I've I've seen areas where it was completely like like when you hear war torn areas, like I've seen that. I've seen mm-hmm. where buildings are rubble, and people live there. People yeah. live in those mm-hmm. buildings still. People don't have running water. They don't have electricity. You know, they don't have any of these things. They go to the bathroom in their front yard in a hole that they dug, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that runs out to the street that's in front of their house in their neighborhood. Right. You know, we would like we'd be walking there, like you know, we would plan our routes around areas that we called shit Creek because it was flowing shit, with human yeah. feces right. from people's yards. Mm. And that's the neighborhood that they lived in. Could you imagine people freaked out when we had rolling blackouts mm-hmm. here? Yeah. 
I, I was literally going to bring it there. My Facebook <laughs> groups that I'm on for the neighborhoods we live in, I would get, oh. I'm like, nope. Uh -uh. Reply. Nope. <laughs> no, not, don't do my it. Favorite, my favorite. My favorite in those Facebook oh, groups man. is oh, he was walking his dog without a leash. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> do you know the damage that that dog could do? And I'm one of the ladies of mine was complaining about construction happening at seven in the morning on Saturday. <laughs> and I, I was just like, well, they're allowed to be doing construction yeah. this early because it gets dark earlier. Yeah. And the heat of the day is pretty nasty yeah. here. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, and then I find, and by I the way, lady, I've been up for like, four hours at that point. So that's your own fault. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Your life is lame, but <laughs> you know, but I added, I was like, aren't you really thankful that we live in a nice neighborhood that has construction going yeah. on? Yeah. And I just left it at that. Yeah. And you should you know. have just put like a picture of shit Creek. On. I should have. <laughs> so she should have done. Oh, no, I should, you know yeah. what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start <laughs> posting pictures yeah. of like the overwatch. I don't care. Don't put shit on there. <laughs> JP is horrible. That is a horrible. Yeah, I know. That's where people lived. I'm sorry. Someone's we need doing to treat. Next we year. need to treat human poop equally. <laughs> <laughs> they cannot. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, so oh. so let's talk about because I know we're you know we're running up against the clock, but let's talk about your transition. Yeah, because this is an incredible story of of how you found what you're doing now. Yeah. Transition something we talk about a lot, you know, going from football, nothing near the transition you did. But it's tough, man, when you've got something, that goal that you've worked for for so long, and now you got to figure out what's next. Well, so talk to us about your transition. Well, first off, when you say it's not as tough, like that's not actually accurate because any transition is hard. Mm -hmm. Because what's hard to me is not hard to you. What's hard to him is not right. hard to me. And so, but it is, but it doesn't take away from the hardness that somebody has to deal with. And transitions are rough, you know, and Jocko has a great video called rough transitions. And it's just a short little video. And mm. it's just, you know, talking about the transitions and showing pictures and videos and everything. And, um, you know, I, I mean, every time I watch it, I, like I, I get teared up and Dave Burke, one of the other instructors on our right. team, you know, he does too, because part of that, you know, Echo Charles puts a video or there's a picture of me and my wife. It's when we gave birth to our twin daughters. Mm -hmm. And when I transitioned out of the military, it was, it was a rough transition. And the reason why is because I failed to establish a new mission. And as humans, we're all mm. driven by missions, right? Right. I mean, when you were playing sports, that was your right. mission. Mm -hmm. When you got out, I don't know what your new mission was, right. but whatever it was, that's what drove you. We're, as humans, we're all driven by something. We call it the why, right? The why mm. drives us. It right. drives our actions. What people fail to establish is, okay, what am I going to do to, uh, to accomplish the why? Mm -hmm. The part that they also miss is how. Like, how are you going to actually accomplish that? And I failed to do that. I got out. I was transitioning out. And I had the opportunity, like, I, you know, met guys at the gym. I, you know, I started training MMA, uh, cause I wanted to start fighting MMA mm -hmm. and I figured that would help me with my transition out of the military. And I just was always drawn to that sport. And also because my dad was as well. And it was kind of one of those, I want to make my dad proud. I want to mm -hmm. fight MMA maybe. Right. And, uh, got the gym, owned a financial company. Um, he was in charge of sales and he told me, he's like, Hey, you know, this is, this is what we do. And this, you know, kind of how we do things. And it made sense. It was so simple. It made sense. I'm like, mm -hmm. I can sell that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's finance to trucking companies. Uh, basically, if you had a delay in pay, we bought that invoice. We gave you a certain percentage up. You front. worked at, uh, at Triumph? 
No, but I know Triumph. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. So it's one of their, uh, one of Triumph's competitors. Okay. And I got mm. to All know right. Triumph very well. You okay. Know? And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I was doing, it was called factoring, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's yeah. what I was selling. Yeah. And what I thought was cool is, you know, the main, my main clientele is trucking companies. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty blue collar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a high school diploma and that's it. I was in the military. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can talk, right? I can mm-hmm. talk to these guys and, and gals and probably relate to them. Because uh, truckers keep America going, you know. Right. Without mm-hmm. trucking companies, we're screwed, man. Mm-hmm. Right. We really are. And mm-hmm. so I believed in it. I thought it was super cool. But it wasn't, Not what, it wasn't what I needed to be doing. Right. What it was, it was a Band-Aid. Because mm-hmm. I was getting out of the military, and it was a Band-Aid. It was wound care, right? I was taking care of the wound, but I wasn't healing that void. I right. wasn't filling in the gap. And, um, you know, I was doing well there. I ended up becoming a sales manager. Uh, we did pretty well. We did some pretty good numbers. Uh, my team was awesome. You know, I was mm-hmm. just, I just implemented a few basic things I knew from the military, tweaked some things. They were already rock stars. It wasn't like I came and fixed anything. Right. They were doing good. We just did really well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, I just made an emotional decision and I, I left because I had that void and I saw where the company was going. It was, it was ego driven by the, another owner mm-hmm. that forced the other two good owners out. And I was like, this is not a good situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got out, I left, I quit. I gave my notice and I said, I'll, I'll stay on as a broker. If you guys want me to, mm-hmm. I'll take care of my clients and make sure that they stay with you guys. But this is what you guys are going to pay me. Negotiated that deal, left, started my own consulting company. I was teaching shooting and tactics to law enforcement and just mm-hmm. trying to help the law enforcement community because they don't have the training that they need. Right, they don't have right. the funding for the training that they need. That's what people don't understand. Um, you know, I was working with companies in the area, they would donate money and I would use that money to provide training to law enforcement, mm-hmm. you know, at no cost to them. Right. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is like if a law enforcement officer wants to go shoot, they actually have to pay for the ammo and the range time. For really? their own for yes. No way. So wait a minute. Wow. So I mean, our own pockets. Yes, there's not. I mean, the most, most. It's it's very rare that departments provide the ammo. That's amazing. So I was talking yeah. with these um, these uh, sheriff officers and some police officers out in Colorado. And this is what kind of drove me to like, I, okay, I need to do something to help. Um, I was like, how often do you guys shoot a year? And the guy was like, fifty rounds a year. I'm like, you only shoot fifty rounds a year? He goes, yeah, for our recall. Like what? He goes, and they take that ammo out of our paycheck. No way. That's crazy. That is crazy, man. Yeah. Wow. I can't, can't fathom that. I I know. That's 15 minutes at the range. Yeah. Max. That's insane. Yeah. So they would only shoot what they needed to shoot for their recall and their agencies or their departments were taking that ammo cost out of their paycheck. So that this is a very real thing. There's mm-hmm. there's an issue with train. Sorry, there's an issue with training. You know, law enforcement mm-hmm. and Jock was very boisterous of this as well. Um, you know, and this is something we can talk about on another podcast maybe. But yep. you know, jujitsu training and combative training and de-escalation training and force on force training. A lot of departments just don't have it, mm-hmm. and because they don't have the budget for it. So anyway, so that's what I was kind of trying to do, and you know, I was trying to build that up and. Uh, started an apparel company. I know it's super original, veteran T-shirt yeah, company. Yeah. First of its yeah, kind. First time ever. Nobody's ever <laughs> done this, no guys. Ever done that? <laughs> Maybe rolling in the dough. <laughs> nope, didn't work out. I still have it. 
I put on the back burner because of what I do with Echelon Front. Yeah. But so, anyways, so that summer, I'm just I'm literally doing anything and everything I can to to make ends meet for my family. I'm doing construction on the side. I'm repairing fences for my landlord to offset the cost of my rent. Mm. And you know, I'm literally I'm painting you know people's addresses in front of their houses. You know, man, I mean, what, what was that like though? Like as far as it was, was humbling. humbling. Oh, yeah. yeah. When when you when at one one time at one time. I was one of the most highly decorated E5s in the SEAL team. Oh, and then, you know, they flew my family out to the White House and Pentagon for my award ceremony after Ramadi. Wow. Mm. And then I'm delivering pizzas for Marco's Pizza, and I'm clearing out the drain at the back of the f- pizza place for my buddy um, just so I can get an extra hour or two of minimum wage mm. after I deliver pizzas until closing. Um, and then... You know, come home and I'm fulfilling T-shirt orders until two, three, three thirty, four in the morning. Mm. Get a little bit of sleep, wake up. You know, help my wife with the kids and do our thing, and go teach somebody a private lesson for shooting. And mm. you know, people are like, "Oh man, I'd love to shoot with you, but I can't really afford it." I'm like, "Well, what can you afford?" And they're like, "Oh, this." I'm like, "Done." You know, just oh, because it's like, "Hey, cool. If you can't pay what I charge, I'll take whatever." Right. You know? And I was literally doing anything and everything to just provide for my family. And, you know, my wife was as well. She was doing everything she could with her business, and the business wasn't doing but this, very well. You know well what I want to talk about a little bit? This is not specific to you. I mean, we have so many that serve this country that come back. Oh, yeah. And don't have, or going through the same transition. Yep. You know. And, and, and are going through these same type of issues mm-hmm. that you're going through. Yeah. That you just described. Oh, yeah. This is a, this is a common thing. But it's not just for veterans. Think about law enforcement. They get yeah. out. What are they going to do? Firefighters, they retire, or they get out. What are they going to do? College athletes. Everyone's going to make it to the big show, right? And they don't. What do they do? Professional athletes, they think they're going to have a 20, 30-year career. What's the average career for an NFL? Three years and a half, three years. That's right. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's the average. Mm -hmm. What do they do afterwards? People aren't taking the time to be strategic with their lives. And if we fail to plan, we're going to fail in life. And that's what I did. And you know what? I paid the man. I rode the struggle bus. And I did everything I could to make ends meet. Uh, I had an awesome opportunity. My buddy calls me up. He's like, hey, man. <laughs> it's so funny. He's like, hey, what's your schedule like this summer? You know, I was like, well, let me check. Hold <laughs> yeah. on, man. Pretty, pretty booked up. <laughs> yeah, hold on. I can move some stuff around for you, Kevin, if you need me to. <laughs> what we got going on? He goes, Michael Bay is uh, looking for some SEALs to be extras in the new Transformers movie. You'd be, pl- you'd be an extra playing a SEAL. And I, I'm not going to say what I said to him in a reply because I was thought he was messing with me, right? I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, dude. What's some other stuff in there? Right. He's like, all right. He goes, I'm being serious, dickhead. Like, if you want to be a part of this, give me this info. I'm like, Call him. I'm like, you being serious? He's like, yes. And excuse my language. I'm sorry, but that's just no, Kevin, man. Right? That's, that's how we speak. Unfiltered, bro. That's, that's straight up Kevin. Kevin's right. just like, hey, you know, yeah. I'm like, call him. He's like, he's so awesome, man. He, uh, anyways, so he's like, I need some pictures of you and your kit. You know, these are the type of pic- looks that I need. Send it over. I'm like, cool. Send it over. Don't hear anything. I'm like, great. So then I'm, I'm helping out this, uh, this guy with his training company. I'm mm. driving down to Alabama, helping him build out his training company, driving back and forth, you know, just trying to make that happen. Uh, good guy, good vision. We just didn't align, mm. and I failed, you know, on a few things. I dropped the ball on some stuff, and we parted ways. And, you know, then the, the movie thing came about as an opportunity, mm. and he was like, hey. Um, no, actually, the, the, the advisor's wife calls me. 
And she's like, hey, uh, Michael Bay loves your pictures. He wants you, you know, to be on, on the movie. Can you be on a, a flight tomorrow to Detroit? And I'm like, I am five and a half hours away from home at this more mm. point. And it's in the evening. And I'm like, uh, give me five minutes. And I called my wife and I said, hey, here's the opportunity. Mm. And she's like, cool, done. When do you leave? I'm like, tomorrow morning. She goes, all right, when, what do you need me to start packing? And so she starts packing oh, up all my man. stuff while I start driving mm. back home. I drive back home, love on her and the kids for a little bit, and then go to the airport in the morning and head to Detroit, not knowing when I'm going to be coming back because right. I'm just filming, right? right. And so, you know, spent a couple months up there, came home, went over to the U.K., did some filming over there, came back, and I was like, all right, cool. So, do, Dang, it. this wasn't like a small gig. This wasn't like, hey, this one scene, we need you to stand in. No, like, no. I ended up do, actually helping doing some advising for Michael Bay with the stunt guys and the tactics awesome. and, and everything else like that. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, he's a brilliant human being. Um, so, yeah, so that happens that summer, and then it goes back to, like, no work. And I was like, well, man, I need to get some more income coming in and, mm-hmm. you know, I need to get paid on this and trying to figure stuff out. I was teaching, shooting, helping out on ranges when I could. Like, yeah. I have a buddy reached out. He's like, hey, man, I need an extra guy on the range at, you know, $300 a day. I'm like, done. What do you need? You know, mm-hmm. like, and um, which is, you know, good money, you know, right, especially yeah. if you're just sitting on the range helping out. And it, I was just whatever I could do to help. And, um, and then I was constantly reaching out to Jocko a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I was just reaching out to Jocko and, you know, just saying, hey, if there's anything you need help with, let me know, like, anything I can do, you know, and I text him, like, I know the mentor doesn't seek out the mentee, that's why I'm reaching mm-hmm. out to you, mm-hmm. and he's like, just, you know, make sure you're reading the book, listen to the podcast, and I'm like, done, 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 what else, mm-hmm. I was like, it's, I was like, can I help sell your gigs, I'm like, bro, like, you know, what, whatever I can do, he's like, no, we're kind of good there, and then it came to the point where he replied back to me, and he's like, hey, we're getting to the point where we're actually having to turn down gigs, because Leif and I are so busy, mm-hmm. we probably might need to bring somebody else on board. We have this event in San Diego. Here's the dates. Can you be there? Just to come check out what we have going on. And I replied back to him. And I said, well, let me check. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm actually teaching shooting and then supposed to be leaving mm-hmm. for this other gig overseas. That gig overseas was legit. It was 70 days in a row at $1,000 a day. Oh, damn. Mm. My family had zero money. Right. Right? There was times we literally were negative. Mm-hmm. And at this time, I remember we had like, uh, it was like 17 cents in the account one day, I remember. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm calling guys that I work for. I'm like, hey, you still owe me money. Like, I'm not trying to collect on a friend, but mm-hmm. I'm also a friend that helped you out. Like, can right. you please pay me the yeah. money you owe me? Mm-hmm. And then I'd yeah, get some money in or, you know, they'd transfer money wow. for the payments or they'd send me a check. And I would literally drive an hour to the Navy Federal Bank so it could go directly into it. Mm-hmm. Or I drive to their bank, cash it, and then go to my but bank it, and put it in there. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, because we didn't have, the, we, you know, yeah. we were hurting financially because of bad mistakes that I had made. Mm-hmm. I left that company on an emotional decision. Mm-hmm. I wasn't logical. I didn't plan it out. Mm-hmm. I didn't have my plan, right. you know. And um, so Jocko says that, and I'm like, ah, oh. he's like, hey, I would never tell you to not to do something that would take money from your family. He goes, Plus, with us, nothing's guaranteed. Like, I don't know. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. you might have one gig. You might have 52 gigs next year. I don't know. But if you are able to come out and see what we're doing and, you know, meet Jamie and, you know, talk with Leif and come up with a game plan, you know, let me know. And I remember I called Amanda and I called another guy who was like this uh, friend of mine, but I also looked up to him as like mm-hmm. a mentor. He's pretty successful. And they both were like, you know what you need to do. 
Yeah, especially Amanda, my wife is like, you know, Jocko and Leif will never screw you over. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was my next question. Yeah. Is it because of the where you've been with Jocko and yes, Leif? Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. loyalty above all. Right. Like I don't care. I I'm with Jocko and Leif until the day I die. Mm-hmm. There's, and I've had some ridiculous offers from companies mm-hmm. that were our clients that tried to bring me like, hey man, come on board with us full time. I'm like, what's the chance? I'm like zero. <sighs> don't mm-hmm. ever ask me that again. Mm. or you won't be my client ever again. Mm. Like, that's not worth it, right? There's right. no amount of money that would ever cause me disloyalty to Jocko and Leif. Not going to happen. <laughs> right. Like, and when people offer that, it makes me mad. Right. Mm. It makes me really mad because I'm like, do you not understand that? Clearly you don't, but okay, that's fine. Mm. And, you know, because, you know, that's on me because I haven't made that very well known to people. Mm. Mm. And uh, so anyways, it was because of that loyalty that I knew what I would have from them. Right. And um, I called my buddy, Steve Arium, a great guy, an amazing shooting instructor with his company. And uh, I was like, hey, I know I'm supposed to be out here these days. Jocko wants me out here for this to see what they're doing. It's an opportunity to work with him. He's like, I'll get you covered. He goes, that's wow. amazing. I was like, are you sure? Am I putting you in a hard spot? He mm-hmm. goes, yeah. He's like, no, you're not putting me in a hard spot. He's like, just, you know, and now I'm going to have to pay someone else's travel. I'm like, take it out of my travel. Like, mm. don't pay me travel, you know? Right. Like, get somebody out there. And he's like, okay. He's like, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, dude, business is business. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to hurt your business. Yeah. You're helping me, and you're my mm. friend. And so I made my way out there using points, you know? Mm. I had no money. I was, like, trying to figure out, like, how am I going to – where am I going to stay? Right. And then, But when I committed that I was going out there – Jock was like, cool. Hey, we're going to put you up at a hotel at the venue. I'm like, oh, thank God. No. If I can just get to the hotel, I'll be good. Humans don't need food for three to four days. I was going to say, do we get the bagels in the morning, though? Yeah. Bagels and cereal? So Jamie, our director of operations, we always laugh at all the musters. Because that first muster, I go into the team room to meet everybody. And it's all these, like, swag bags that we're giving people. And it's, like, all these, like you know, beef jerky and protein bars and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like, kind of hungry. Packing my own bags, right? No, and I did. And, I, got, you know, I was like, oh, are we allowed to have any of this? I don't want any. She's like, oh, yeah, this is our stuff that we can take from. I'm like, cool. I packed, like, my own bag. I'm like, this the is my Michael food. Irvin cookie yeah. story. Yeah. I was like, this is my thing. These are my three days of food, right? And, um also, I was like, man, I, literally, I, as long as I have water, I'll just fast while I'm here. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I need a cleanse anyway. Yeah, I'm good. I'm happy for the opportunity. You know, did the mustard. Jocko had me on his podcast right mm-hmm. afterwards. And, um, you know, I told him, I was like, I'm all in. I'm 100% all in. Whatever you and life need, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And uh, that just that started the process. Right. And it was crazy. You God. know what's a common theme I keep, and I'm sure you guys are thinking this too, as you're telling us your story, like, you don't, you don't wait to figure things like you just go. I'll figure it out on the way. Uh, yeah. Like I'm just going to get to work and things will take care of themselves. And that's a mentality that I struggle with. I, I'm the guy that has to analyze and figure it all out. So well, that's listen to your story is really awesome. Smart. <laughs> yeah. Really smart people. Oh, man. Brother. <laughs> hey, how many times have I said that? Like something like hardest guy to play with in the NFL is a dude who's too damn smart. Yeah, because he won't over, react. Yeah, he's going to over process. So they get every, stuck in the OODA loop. Yes. Right? Yes. They never get to the A of the OODA loop. They never Absolutely. act. They're like, yes. observe, yep. orient, decide. Wait, hold on. This change, I need to orient yeah. myself again and decide. Nope, boom, 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 boom. No, act. Just, yes. just act, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you could do to help you, because we'd have guys in the SEAL teams do that. We were putting through training. 
we would put them in situations where we told them, I don't care what you do, just do something. And when they would do it, we would show them, look, nothing bad happened. So what you could probably do mm-hmm. is find times in your life where you just need to quickly analyze and say, is this going to be catastrophic to my life, my health, my business, my family? No, just go mm. and just act. And when you do something and then you realize, oh, wasn't that bad. It, well, it wasn't <laughs> that bad. Okay, cool. And yeah. over time, you can actually... You can, decentralize, you can desensitize yourself to the fear of acting to where acting just becomes more mm. of a habit. Mm. That's yeah. good, man. Yeah. It takes time. Well, it takes repetition, Round man. table. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah you're coming back, table. man. You're, you're coming, coming back. back. <laughs> Let's, do it. Let's do it. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, you're pause good. the story, but yeah. No. Uh, okay, so, so you start working with Jocko. Um, you know, getting ha, ha, When did it start? Or Yeah, I was going to say that first time, did you actually get up and speak? No, I was just there to observe. Just to, okay. I was just there to listen mm-hmm. and see what they were doing and see if I wanted to be a part of it. Okay. Just to say, hey, look, you're going to be on stages in front of people. Yeah. So what made you want to be involved? What was it that you saw that first day? When I, sh- try not to get emotional on this one. Um, when I saw how they were honoring our brothers. Yeah. And not just the SEALs that we lost, but the Marines and soldiers that we served with that were killed in Ramadi. You know, when we deployed to Ramadi, um, 98 soldiers, Marines, and SEALs were killed. Mm. Over 500 were wounded. And, you know, those Marines and and those soldiers were our brothers. Mm. And when I saw how they were sharing the lessons that we learned to help make people's lives better. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, I'm all in. Right. Plus I had read extreme ownership when my wife and I, we, we were divorced, right? So we were completely divorced. And then I read extreme ownership and I used those principles to help get our marriage back. Mm. So I know they work, right? you know? And so you go from being completely divorced, like living separate, everything, you know, exchanging kids on certain days and times mm-hmm. to being able to re rejoin your family. Like yeah. that's, that's a rare thing. Yeah. And you know and what? I don't want to stop, stop you on that because I want to say this. It, ben bought the book for me, Extreme Ownership. That's and what I read. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it spoke directly to me. Even the, the first, you know, chapter when Leif is in his situation, yeah. man, it has you hooked. Yep. And it brings you in and it speaks directly to life. Like it's not just, you know, that, it's and, everyone's situation. And that's what it was is I, I read the book. Like you said, it applied to my situation. Obviously I was a part of that deployment that right. they talk about, but that book, just the way they broke it down was incredible. And their second book, the dichotomy of leadership mm-hmm. is better oh, because yeah, I've got copies. I'll bring to you guys right. next time. But the dichotomy of leadership breaks down the different, aspects of life that we go through that we have to actually find balance on mm-hmm. and how when we get out of balance it ruins our life and i had gotten out of balance that's why my marriage fell apart mm. and so when i was able to read the book and actually apply the principles and actually take ownership of my life it yeah. was actually very liberating because i recognized oh you know what all the things that went wrong in my life if i truly believe that they are my fault if i truly believe that mm-hmm. then i can actually fix it mm-hmm. right you know, so yeah. let's say we're meeting up and you're late and I truly believe that that's my fault, mm-hmm. but you're, you're late, right? Mm-hmm. You physically are late. Mm-hmm. 
But I truly believe that it's my fault because I actually didn't have a good conversation with you. But like, hey, man, where we're I know I know this is what the map is going to say. That's right. I'm telling you, about halfway through your drive, the traffic gets nasty. If you leave 15 minutes early, you'll pass all that traffic. And here's another alternative route that you can take. Boom. If I just did that, then I can actually help mm-hmm. take ownership of your situation for our meeting. Right. Because if you're late to our meeting, then that is my fault. Right. Because I didn't give you the information ahead of time. Do you hear that, Ben? It's, it's like Tyler. It's, it's, hey, it's my it's fault. You're always fault. late, dude. <laughs> it's your fault. I show up at three o'clock for our three o'clock podcast. Hey, if you're if you're on time, you're late. That's like, right. You're yeah. That's right. But um, you know, so it was that, and then seeing the impact that they had had with all these people, it was just, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be a part of that. It mm. was that sense of fulfillment. And I was like, this is my next mission, right? I was mm-hmm. like, this is amazing. And since I've been a part of the team, I've just, the impact that I've been able to be a part of mm-hmm. is just incredible. I right. mean, I have, you know, friends who are their clients that are now friends of mine that have lost over a hundred pounds because of the book and because of our friendship relationship mm-hmm. of me, you know, helping mm-hmm. them make little tweaks here and there. I've been able to meet some of the most amazing people. The fact that I'm sitting here is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. when I sent your information to my buddies, the fact that they were like, what? Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like just the opportunities that have come is just been incredible. Yeah. And it is partially because of, I know that they'll always have my back and I'll always have their back and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm forever indebted to them. And I always tell them that. And it's, you know, typical Jocko and Leif. They're like, brother, you don't owe us anything. We owe you. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't think so, yeah. <laughs> but cool yeah. story. Like we'll go with that. Um, you know, and that's just, just the thing is, is an opportunity to to serve again. Right. It's to be able to to help people not make the same mistakes I made. Yeah, I can tell awesome. you a lot of ways not to do things in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes, uh, but I'm fortunate to be surrounded by people who have helped me learn from those mistakes right. and translate those mistakes into lessons learned so that other people don't. That's right. Mm. I mean, because here's the deal. In life, you win or you lose. Mm-hmm. There's no option. I hate when people say, and if you guys say, I apologize, but <laughs> I don't like when people say, you ne- you win or you learn. You never lose. No, that's not the case. Yeah, you lose. Lost, yeah. You have winners and you have losers. Now, whether you decide to learn from your wins and yeah. your losses is yeah. 100% up to you. Yeah. 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 There's always a score. Yeah. Yeah. There's a score in everything. That's Absolutely. Right. My kids, yeah. we, we, just let, we picked them up from, um, uh, we do like Awanas every Wednesday night. And so the other night they got their little cars. They do these little racetrack deal. And, and my daughter's talking and, and she's like, yeah, no. So it's great. So the winners get a trophy and, and the other ones just get ribbons. Right. And, and I, this is why I love my wife. She goes, no, you're not taking a ribbon home. If you lose, you lose. Like yeah. if either you win or you don't. And I was yeah. like, gosh, baby, you're so sexy right now. <laughs> Thank I you, love you so I much. Got for you tonight. That's why I love my wife and I have been able to instill that into our kids as well. They yeah. do jujitsu also. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I've got this picture. If you guys remind me, I'll send it to you guys. Yeah. You'll love it. My, our daughters and our son, Aiden, they do their first jujitsu tournament. Aiden gets destroyed and he has just the biggest smile on his face because he was loving the opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right? Because he was working hard, yeah, right? Yeah. He's just working so hard. That's just who he is. Right. right. And, um, for him to even be able to do jujitsu and wrestling based off of the 
you know, the physical disabilities that he's had his whole life mm. and in physical therapy and all these other things. Like, again, we can get into this all another time. Yeah, like mm-hmm. his trans, I mean, when I. It's all right, man. Take uh, your time. When I text my best friend, Steven, and a group of our friends and Tyler and all those guys, I said, hey, Aiden just won his first wrestling match, 12 to 2. Steven texts me outside the group text. He goes, bro, I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes because I've seen what that boy has overcome. Mm. Everyone always told him, you'll never play sports. You'll never be able to do this. And we got him in jujitsu, and we've always never listened to anybody else that told him all that stuff. And we're like, no, that's not the case, right? And to see what he's been able to do is incredible. And his last match, he lost all three. Mm -hmm. You know what? He fought his ass off all three right, matches, right. you know, and tonight he has one again, right? And he's super fired up about it. And it's just cool to see what he's been able to do. Right. And then you have the other aspect where one of my daughters, Nola, she loses and she's just looking over at the kid like this, <sighs> his hands being raised, hers isn't. And she is upset yeah. losing. She hates more than winning. Right. Right. And then her twin Cora won all the matches, beat these boys down, mm-hmm. like 17 to 0, yes. like 15 to 0 type right. of wins. And so she wins gold, and she's just like, she loves winning. Yeah. Ola hates losing. Yeah. Right? They're twins. It's funny. We go to another tournament. Cora loses, and she gets fourth place, and they try to pull her up there for pictures and give her a medal. And she's like, no, I didn't. No, it's first, second, third. Like, right. And they're like, no, no, come on. So she just goes up there. They do the picture, and she's like, <laughs> like just Jocko, no emotion type of face, upset, had like tears in her eyes. Her face is all red because she's mad. And they get done with the picture and she takes it off and gives back the medal and goes, I didn't deserve that and walks over to me. And I'm like, yes, yeah. So just seeing that yeah. within the kids has been yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's, it's oh, awesome, man. Man. yeah. Well, yeah. We could go for hours. Was, yeah. We know you got to go. Uh, tell, Tell us a little bit, and we'll talk more about you know yeah. your your story next time. Tell us about Echelon Front, what the mission is, so for our listeners. Yeah, and so, then we got one more final question. Yeah, so the the mission at Echelon Front, to simplify it, is just to share the lessons that we learned in combat and in training, mm-hmm. so that you can apply those same lessons to your life. And we say that they're leadership lessons. And one of the things that we've been getting better at at Echelon Front is explaining that leadership is not a title. You know, if, if you have the ability to influence others to do stuff, you're a leader. So with that being the case and that being true, everybody that's listening to this podcast is a leader. And so we share the lessons that we learned in combat and training so that you can better yourself as a human to lead your teams, your families, your business, whatever you're doing, just to lead them to victory Mm -hmm. and whatever your victory is, that's what you need to be shooting Mm -hmm. for. And so that's what we help facilitate. And if you're a CEO or someone that runs an organization, I don't care if you're a young entrepreneur, marketing, marketing, whatever. Yeah. HR. I'll speak for HR. Yeah. Probably dance that line. sometimes. All right. (laughs) But whoever you are, you're looking to, 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 to grow in your business. If you're, if you're not reading extreme ownership, brother, you're doing yourself a disservice, man. So I'm recommending anyone that's listening right now, pick up extreme ownership and then it's dichotomy of Of leadership, of leadership as well. And and echelon front, you guys do trainings. So we do always, so we do keynotes and we also do everything virtual right now as well. We do everything virtual except for the hands-on experiential leadership training that I run that has to be in person, right? It's hands-on training. And so, um, yeah, we. I mean, we do any any and every type of leadership training and consulting that companies need. We'll right. do we do keynotes, 
half day workshops, full day workshops. We have long range development training programs that we design to actually align our leadership principles with the company's goals and mission for success. The hands-on training that we do, it's the field training exercises. Mm -hmm. It's all the same uh, leadership principles that we taught in the SEAL teams to prepare guys to lead overseas. And now we do it in person with you. We put you in stressful Mm -hmm. situations uh, and it's pretty cool, you know. So we have that for corporates, and we also we just opened it up for individuals. And the one here in DFW, uh, it's actually in like ten days sold out already. I mean, it sold out That's quick. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Where yeah. an individual or a small group can come, and it's two full days of hands-on scenario-based leadership training, working with Jocko, Leif, myself, and other instructors, and you're running capture kill missions against my role players, right. and all the scenarios are designed to dictate and teach the principles that we teach at Echelon Front real time so that you can feel the burden of leadership. You can feel communication. You can feel the failures and the successes of leadership. Yeah. You're in love, aren't you, man? Dude, it's the best job in the world. Yeah. Besides being a seal. Yeah. Second best. (laughs) Two final questions before we get there. The debrief podcast that Jocko does. It's ridiculous. Is some of the best content you can possibly consider. Yes. Uh, I've sent you a few yeah. of those. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing mm-hmm. the debrief part, and that's and what they're speaking on is the situation situations you guys face at Echelon. Yes, front. yeah. So, first question: What's the best piece of advice Jocko's ever given you? The best piece of advice Jocko's ever given me was to actually step up, be more aggressive, and lead. Mm-hmm. When he told me mm-hmm. that he needed me to be a more aggressive leader. Not aggressive as like towards humans, but just be more aggressive to solve problems. I may, maybe that's why, you, as you're saying, you're like you're always action, action, action. Mm-hmm. When Jocko pulled me aside when I was 22 years old, we're in the middle of the desert doing these training runs. He goes, "Hey, when we get back from this training, I need you to put JP on your helmet in big bold letters on tape or something." He goes, "I always need to know where you're at so that I can find you to help you solve problems." He goes, "I need you to be my go-to guy." Mm. And so he empowered me. He empowered me with belief, and he also empowered me by giving me ownership. And so if you want somebody on your team to take ownership, you actually, one, you have to be taking ownership yourself, but you actually have to give people permission to take ownership because a lot Mm -hmm. of people are hesitant to do that. And so when Jocko told me to be more aggressive for solving problems, for leading, and just to take ownership, that was probably the most impactful thing. That's awesome. That's good. That's great. All right, final question. If you could go back to any point in your life and tell yourself one thing, doesn't necessarily mean you go change anything, but if you could just go tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself? That's a really good question. I mean, because as you say, you're, you're flooding through all these things. Yeah. and mm-hmm. It's like, hey, do you say something or do something to keep your brothers from dying? Yeah. You know, that would, if I could do anything to keep all these guys alive mm. that are on my wrist, then mm. that's what I would do in a heartbeat. But we can't do that. Um, and so if we take that out of the equation, it would be, um, you know, to just be more disciplined because it's true. Like Jocko says, discipline equals freedom. And the more disciplined you are in all aspects of your life, the more freedom that you're going to have. Mm-hmm. So I think if I would have been more disciplined as, as a younger kid, as a young man, I would have had a much better impact in life. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Can't end any better way than that. And we appreciate the yeah. time that you Thank spent you. with us, man. This was yeah. absolute gold. We loved it. Yeah. This is definitely got to have you back. Yeah. Yeah. Got to have you back. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, have you I'm back. not far. So I'm, yeah. you know, 
Figure and out Ben and I, lines with you guys Darren's, Darren's a little too old and brittle, but Ben and I, we got to get in. <laughs> we got to get in and uh, roll around with yeah, you. I've got we, my four-year-old son doing jujitsu because of you guys, because good, of yeah. you know mm-hmm. Joe Rogan, that, that type. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've never done it. I, I never did martial arts growing up, but yeah. man, it's unbelievable for him. He, he absolutely loves it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah. We'll definitely do that for yeah, sure. Yeah, man. Great. <laughs> Awesome. Well, appreciate you, man, and uh, you. best of luck to your son tonight. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I love go the fact get that it. you came in. Go today, get it. The first thing you said. Yeah. What's the first thing you said, JP, when you walked into the door? I got a, I got a wrestling, I got a wrestling match. match. I got a be at today. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome, man. We appreciate you, brother. Yeah, appreciate you. We'll be seeing you again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate Thanks. you guys. Thanks, guys.